0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org.
1: That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. Welcome. We are continuing our study through 1 Corinthians. This morning, we will be in 1 Corinthians 10 through 31. I will be reading 1 Corinthians 18 through 25. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, there is one underneath the chair in front of you. We will be on page 952. So if you would stand with me as we read the word. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let us pray. My God, we confess that often our heart seeks after the things of this world. Often our heart seeks after worldly wisdom. God, I thank you that you in your wisdom saw fit to make all that vain that we may know you by the power of the gospel alone. So, Father, as my brother prepares to bring the word, I pray that you would make clear to many the power of the gospel to save. Would you be exalted amongst your people today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: So as we begin this morning, I'd like for you to ask yourself the question, who would you consider to be the greatest public speaker of the 20th century? I would argue that in our culture, the greatest public speaker was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Particularly as it relates to the speech he gave, I Have a Dream on the Steps of the Lincoln Memorial. There are others you could refer to, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton. There were other powerful speakers in our culture But I wonder, I'm not arguing for, just based off of his influence, that there was a greater public speaker in the 20th century, one that we don't want to admit. His name was Adolf Hitler. He incited a world war with his speeches. Speaking can be used for good or bad. In the Roman and Greek culture, they placed an incredible high value on public speakers. It's called rhetoric. Rhetoric had five steps to it quickly. Number one, get the attention of your audience. If I didn't have your attention in those first few words, when I used the word Hitler, everybody looked at me. Number two, comprehension. Get the audience to understand what you're talking about. I'm going to give you the main idea in just a second. Number three, seek for them to yield to that which you're saying. Number four, get them to retain what you've said. I'm going to use an outline. Number five, action. I'm going to give you a so what. There's one of those out of the Greek rhetoric, I can't do. Number three, I can't get you to yield. Only God can. Yielding is a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid that many in the church have lost sight of this. That we're kind of like the world, we're just looking for the most powerful speaker. We're not looking for the most powerful speaker because here's our main idea. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power and wisdom of God to those who are called. So when we see this text here, primarily in verses 18 to 25, where we'll begin our focus, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God, not the persuasion of man. Paul refuses to preach with wisdom and eloquence because he understands that the cross has signaled the end of human wisdom. Verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, As pastors, we have been pressing in on you as a congregation that when we get opportunity in groups or individually, we've been asking you a question, what is the gospel? Let me tell you the number one answer we get in this church, good news. Brothers and sisters, hear me carefully. That's not the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins According to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. That's the Bible's definition of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It is the word of the cross. It is the message of the death of Christ in the place of sinners that is the gospel. To those who are perishing, what he means here is those that are bound toward death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, to those that are perishing, that's folly. It's ridiculous. you got to put yourself in the first century. In the first century, the cross was a means of humiliation and control by the Romans. The, the world at this point in time feared the cross. Now, <clears throat> what he's saying is that stunning rhetoric, which displays the skills of human beings and brings praise to an individual, does not fit the message of the cross. The message of the cross, of the humiliation of Christ, is not a smooth message. Let's face it, brothers and sisters. We live in a point of time to which Al Moeller described this week. He's the president of the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He preached this text Thursday to the opening convocation of Southern Seminary. Let me just tell you why I think Dr. Moeller preached that. Southern Seminary has the most educated faculty it's ever had. There's some brilliant men and women who teach there, and there's some brilliant men and women from the Southern Baptist Convention who are studying there for gospel ministry. And here's what Dr. Moeller was saying The future of the gospel does not ride on our human ingenuity, it does not ride on our intelligence and our education. He says, we're in a predicament. The word predicament means apparently embarrassing and difficult to escape. Paul said in Romans 1 For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. And let's go back to the original audience. To proclaim a crucified Jew from some little backwater town in the Roman Empire as being the divine being sent on earth, God's son, Lord of all, the coming judge of the world, would have been thought by any, un- any educated person to be utter madness. Christianity was cradled in what looks like a disastrous defeat. The stigma of the cross exposed the preacher to woeful contempt. Paul, however, did not refer to Jesus' death with embarrassment. Nor did he skip over the awkward facts relating to the gospel. The power of the cross, not the eloquence of preachers, Brings the transformation of souls. I'm going to repeat that because I'm not sure you're convinced. You're looking at me funny. The power of the cross, not the eloquence of the preacher, brings about the transformation of souls. Only God's intervention can change the state of the perishing. Only God. God does not need me today. What God works through is the preaching of the gospel. Muller said in the sermon, quote, Without the power of the gospel, which transcends all reason and rationality and wisdom, we would all be lost. All of us. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God, not the persuasion of man. And secondly, the the gospel of Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Now, what Paul is scoffing at here is not wisdom in and of itself. He's scoffing at worldly wisdom. Verse 19, for it is written, this is God speaking. He's quoting Isaiah 29, 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. By acting in this way, God ensures that human beings have no basis for pride in their own wisdom. As if their wisdom is a pathway to salvation. God says, I, I'm going to destroy that. I'm going to go around that. And that's what he did in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he asked this question. I ask it today. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What he's saying is, where's the person educated enough to figure out God? Where are you? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how we know God. Where's the scribe? Where's the person in their own human wisdom can write the book? Here's how God did it. He inspired multiple authors over 2,000 years in different places and times and gave them one cohesive message that Christ alone is salvation. Where is the debater of the age? Is that how we're gonna win over the lost? We're gonna debate them? As if our intellect is going to cause somebody to yield. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. There's some really smart people in this room. And then there's the rest of us. Can I just let you smart people know something right now? That your Mensa card is not going to impress God, nor has it ever, or will ever. You will not, of your own intellect, come to know God. That's why He's God, and you're not. God makes Himself known, and it pleased God. This is reminding the reader of something that God has deliberately done with pleasure. He's laid out the way in which people come to salvation. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, no one will be saved unless they hear. And what they must hear is the gospel. And when the gospel is heard, those whom he called, they believe. Now, here's what Paul realizes. He realizes something. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. You want a crowd here in Gastonia? Do one of two things: have a healing service or preach on revelation. And tell people X, Y, and Z and dot and add 33 and multiply it times 13 and divide it by 7 and you get the perfect number and Jesus coming next year. Wow. People. Demand signs and wisdom. Remember, to the Corinthians, the crucifixion was the ultimate and humiliating death. It was not something that civilized people sat around and talked about. And This was a stumbling block to Jews. They, they were looking for a conqueror, a powerful person who would come and rule and kick out this Roman government. Instead, Christ succumbed to the Roman government And they killed him with their most humiliating form, crucifixion. The Jewish people tripped. They couldn't get past it. To the Gentile, it's folly. This is quoting Sam Harris. He's one of our modern-day brilliant elite intellectuals. He's a debater. And here's what he has said in his debates. Quote, The Christian faith is obscene. To think this way is to fail to reason honestly. The Christian faith is psychotic because it is completely delusional. There is no reason to believe that we live in a universe ruled by an invisible monster, Yahweh. Christianity is a cult of human sacrifice. It is a religion that celebrates a single human sacrifice as though it were effective, do you understand what he's admitting there? He's admitting that which we proclaim, and here's what he's saying to us. You're crazy. Now, young people who grew up in this church, you go off to college, and you're going to send it on a and professor who's going to say these exact same things to you in sociology and psychology and history, and Lord knows, you take a religion class, you're going to get straightened out. They're going to tell you how crazy you are and how uneducated and ignorant those people are back there and gassed on you. We preach Christ crucified. Notice how Paul shifts there. He didn't say, I do, we do. We preach Christ crucified to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you see the shift here? He shifts from those who reject to those who are called. The good news about Christ crucified and risen is proclaimed to all, but it is only welcomed by those who are called. This calling is effective. We sing it this way in the old hymn. I once was blind, but now I see. What happened? God opened my eyes. You just sang about it a few minutes ago. It wasn't that you were hanging out in a grave, having a party. Who's in a grave? Dead people. And he called my name. It's an effective call. He called my name out of the grave from death to life. Because here's what we see in Colossians 3. The understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So since we see since the power of God into the salvation is applied to our hearts and lives, if in fact it has, and if today God has opened your eyes, admit, confess that you're sinful and you needed Christ, and apart from Christ you cannot be saved, and if you see then believe. But why Paul wrote this is not an evangelistic message. He's writing to the believer. He's writing to the church and he's saying something fundamental has got to happen among you people. If Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God, then it's got to affect you. Not just personally, it's got to affect you collectively. So there are four things here, four applications. First, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must reject division among us. I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, in light of the gospel, that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. and He's not belittling baptism. He's making what's primary but to preach the gospel. And look how he's not going to do it. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why? lest the cross be emptied of its power. I wonder how Paul would have written in an age of social media when you can log on and listen to Apollos and Peter instantly. What happens when people... Exalt the speaking skills and abilities above of others above the significance of the cross. Paul's not saying here that sermons should be boring. What Paul is saying is that those who proclaim and preach must be careful that they don't draw attention to themselves. They must put the attention where it must be as the cross. I need to rebuke something here in Parkwood. People have actually said to me, I don't come when you're on vacation. You're the only preacher I like. What? I just want you to know that is not a compliment to me. My heart sinks when you say something like that to me. I'm going to die. This gospel was here before me and it will be here after me. Don't you get wrapped up in an individual, whoever he or she is. Now, I can promise you this whoever stands in this place will preach the gospel, they will stick to the word of God. Occasionally, some people get off from that. Guess what? They won't be back. This is a sacred place to stand with a sacred message that we preach. We preach Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must, we must proclaim the gospel. The herald's task is not to create a persuasive message, but to convey effectively the articulated message of another. For Christ did not send me to herald the gospel. It could be translated that way. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Verse 23, but we herald Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. To herald is to proclaim, to announce, to make known. It's present, active, indicative. It's not something we do every once in a while. It's what we do. This is who we are. We proclaim Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to unfold to you what's being called Who's Your One? There are other churches that are doing this. Here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to identify a person that, as far as you know, are not a Christian, who live in this area. That you're going to pray for them and you're going to ask God for an open door that you can verbally share the gospel with them. Just imagine if 1,500 of us pray for a person and desire their salvation and look for the moment when the door's going to open. We've been doing this as a staff now for three months. We've been praying together. A week or so ago in a staff meeting, one of the staff members shared a story. He'd been praying for his neighbor. The neighbor wasn't too open. He would almost was ready to move on and pick another one to pray for, When Sunday night, a couple of weeks ago, this guy knocks on his door. He opens the door, lets the guy in. The guy begins to share his heart with him. The conversation turns to the gospel. And right there in his house, this man was saved. Now listen to me. He was saved because the gospel was proclaimed to him. And listen. Listen. God called him. Staff member didn't go over and get him out of here. We proclaim the gospel, God does the saving. I know people write in their Bible of people who get saved. I don't do that, that leads to pride. You better watch that kind of stuff. Their name's written in the place it needs to be, the Lamb's Book of Life. (laughs) People say to me sometimes, Pastor, how many decisions were there today? Everybody in the room made a decision. I'm not worried about your decisions. I'm worried about the salvation of God. Only God can open your eyes. Which leads me to the third thing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must consider our calling. Oh, brothers and sisters. Paul says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. That word can be translated that way. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble birth. Now you hang on to that because it's going to come back up in, in Jeremiah in just a few minutes. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. People start reading about pedigrees and where you came from, where you went to school. Listen, all I can tell you is I heard the gospel and God saved me. It's not important who was talking to me. They're secondary. What is primary is that I heard the gospel and God opened my eyes and I believed. I had nothing to do with it. God chose what is low and despised in the world. That's me and you even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are. Because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So when we consider our calling, it brings humility. God eliminates all human boasting. There's nothing that we confer on ourselves. For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one, can boast. When we consider our calling it brings unity. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, you plural, you are in Christ. Not one of you are in Christ because of who you were and where you came from. We're in Christ because God summoned us. That's what calling means. When we consider our calling we realize our shared identity. We weren't wise, but we became wise in God because Christ is wise. We weren't righteous, but we became righteous because Christ's righteousness, not mine, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me. I have a righteousness that is not my own. I wasn't set apart, but now I am. I'm sanctified. I am now, you are now, if you are in Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives within us. Redemption. Christ redeemed. It means he's set free. The image here is a slave block. Christ purchased us with his own blood and he has set us free that we might now live as unto Christ. You know who we are? We are a distinct people who live in a distinct time This is true of the church wherever she finds herself at whatever point in time in history. We are a distinct people, saved by grace, who live by the power of God. Fourth and final thing, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must boast in the Lord. Verse 31, so as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I know I've been accused of it and I'm sure at times I have been. One of my great disappointments of my Christian life is the arrogance of preachers. I don't understand it. How can we be so cocky? God's solution to spiritual pride is not that we focus on someone in the church. That just leads to division. We focus on Christ. He is our Lord. God has brought us low. And what we must do is renounce all desire for our own glory that we might glorify God. I'm in Jeremiah chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there. It's almost in the middle of your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Just let you in on something. If you come up to me after the service and say, did you see who was here today? And then you name somebody famous or rich or powerful in the community. I'm not going to turn cartwheels and go run them down. Just letting you know. (laughs) By the way, By the way, every politician in Gastonia is going to show up here in the next two months. All right, I'm just letting you know. They're coming. (laughs) I'm not wowed by that stuff. You shouldn't be either. That's not what we're after. We gather for a very intense purpose. And here's what he says. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The only way we come to understand and know him is that we are called by the proclamation of the gospel. That we know that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And we see that clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. So let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. So I'm reading in preparation. I read a 1955 sermon by Dr. W.A. Criswell at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And he said, he just focused on this phrase, we preach Christ. He talked about this is why this church has survived. This is why she's still here in downtown Dallas. And we must continue to preach Christ. Now, if you go on the Internet today and you ask what's First Baptist Dallas known for, I can tell you it's not the gospel. Politics has swept the feet out from underneath that church. I don't say that with any pride or any kind of malice in my heart, oh to God that they would return to the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is not a political stump. This is a proclamation point of the gospel, and that is true of every church. We boast in the Lord. I don't know if you're convinced with me. We boast in the Lord. Oh, to God, until you come, Lord Jesus, may it be true of Parkwood, we preach Christ. You hear me? You're one preacher. You're one group of elders from that not being true anymore. You be careful, brothers and sisters. We preach Christ and we preach Him crucified. Let's pray. Oh God, we are deeply humbled by the gospel, we are deeply humbled by the cross. Lord, I understand. How we could come to these conclusions. There's so much fear in the church. The culture's changing so rapidly. There's so many influences. So many things we're being told to do. If you'll just do this or that or the other, more people will come. Lord, we're not concerned with more people. We are concerned with being faithful to the gospel. And when we are faithful to the gospel, people will be saved. God, let us never, ever forget that particularly when we live in a time to where the world is becoming more combative around us, where we're being treated as ignorant, where we're being scoffed at for preaching. May this church, may your church, stay faithful to Christ. Oh, God, fall on your people. May we now in humility come. May we come to the one Alone who saves. May we cry to you. May we boast in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.